I don't know if anyone watched Field of Dreams, but it's famous for saying, if you build it, they will come. And when it comes to online business, that isn't true. If you build it, they will not come. You need a way to bring them to your business. There's times where you almost lose it, but those inflection points happen when you're at your breaking point. Like when it gets the hardest and you push through, that's where you really learn. And so I walked into my CEO's office and I said, hey man, you've been a great boss, but I'm going to go start an online yoga business. And he's like, you're insane if you think this is going to work. And he was right. I wasn't saying to think that that was going to take off like the moment I launched. You're not trying to push your product on somebody. That's a mistake. What you're doing is you're connecting your product to their existing desire. My wife always tells my son, uh, Practice makes perfect. And I'm like, I I don't like that phrase. Practice increases the probability that that which you practice, you will repeat later. But if you practice the wrong thing, (laughs) you're going to do that. The work that you do tomorrow will always be better than the work that you do today. So just get the work done. That grand vision that you have, it'll come true. But you have to get done today's stuff so that tomorrow can be possible. When I first got into this, I was like, I'm going to make millions of dollars. Yeah, we're going to put some echo on that in the editing, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't been as financially successful as I wanted to be. And that's something that really caused me a lot of strife. And then I was like, I work 20 hours a week sometimes. And (laughs) I get to climb whenever I want to climb. And so I think that my measuring stick for what success is has definitely changed. Welcome to episode 112 of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. If you can believe it, we're already at the end of 2018, and this is the last episode of the year. You just heard highlights from our most recent guests. In this episode, we'll be revisiting some of the most impactful things covered in our last 10 episodes. So if you're just joining us here on the podcast, this will give you a great primer of what we covered. And as we're entering into the holiday season, I want to express my gratitude to all of our listeners. Thanks for joining us here on the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. It is my hope that these interviews have been helpful and inspirational to you. So without further ado, let's wind back the clock and revisit the best moments of our last 10 episodes. As always, I'm your host, Eric Turnison. In episode 107, I spoke with Chris Palmer, who is the founder of two membership sites, Angle of Attack, which specializes in flight simulator training and aviator training, an online flight school that provides pilot certification training. Over the years, he's served more than 15,000 members through his businesses. In our conversation, Chris shared many of the hard-won lessons he's learned, including the importance of authenticity in today's economy, customer acquisition through social media, and knowing when to pivot your business. Here are some highlights. If I'm going to work with you, or if I'm going to work with somebody who, you know, it's, it's, I know is a a small company, it's a relationship. There's, there's a component of that and that needs to be honored. And if it's not honored, then those customers aren't going to stick around that long. Right. We don't choose the biggest and best or the cheapest anymore. We choose the one that means the most to us all the way down to the underwear that we wear. You know, everything we do now, if there's some sort of uh, value proposition behind it, beyond just the quality of the product, we're buying into that more and more and more. And so to teach people about that value that you have you know, that personable value, you've got to be authentic. And and I mean, like true authenticity, I'm just not talking about, you know, being, acting like you're authentic and doing all these amazing things. People are very smell from a mile away, right? Yeah. They are very in tune now and they can, they can tell what is fake and what is real. 
and, uh, and, you know, even showing the bad side of maybe not necessarily your business, but maybe the downside of becoming a pilot every now and again with, you know, not being able to eat when you're in the air or, or, uh, you can't exactly pull over and to a, a rest stop. So there's plenty of, plenty of cool side to that, that side of the equation. And it, again, I, I think the new economy is a personal economy and more and more people are moving away from the big businesses to pick those companies that align with their values. Right. And, and it's exciting, I think, because there's so much opportunity there. And in order to teach value, what do you need to do in order to teach value? Nothing. You don't need to study anything. Just bring value. And you've got a, they, you know, the whole 80-20 rule. Um, you're basically giving away 80% of what you do. And then that 20% is what people end up paying for. Of course, you always want to make sure it's in balance. You don't want to bankrupt yourself by giving everything away. You got to be pretty careful about that. How are you approaching through your marketing, through your conversations with people and handling the concerns that they may have and taking them from the starting point where they're landing on your site to purchasing your online training to then maybe going into a live ground school with you? It's a bit of a complicated process because there is so much to learn when it comes to aviation, so many steps. And so I find that the teaching of the ground school and the teaching of the knowledge, you know, the aircraft systems, airspace, weather, all those things are actually, they pale in comparison to just being able to teach people the path to get to where they need to go. Because when someone approaches even the idea of becoming a pilot, they have no idea how to even go up to an airport and start to ask. All of my marketing answers to those issues it says, okay, what are the steps that it takes to even get to the point where you get started? And I find that so many of my competitors in the industry take that for granted. Well, I'm trying to digitize that and make it a sales funnel. So for example, if you go to aviatortraining.com, the first thing that pops up is the private pilot action plan. It's the five steps you need to take before you take your first flight lesson. It's a very short PDF that I just worked super hard on. I created it in like three days. It looks really nice. I did it on a template. The, the imagery in it is really good, but it's five actual things, challenges for people that they have to uh, even just know exist to get to the next step. In episode 103, I had a fascinating conversation with a successful entrepreneur named Seth Rosen. Seth is an expert in turning underperforming websites into profitable businesses. In 2009, he purchased Custom Made, a jewelry business that designs completely custom pieces for each customer. He grew that business into a large venture-backed marketplace for jewelry makers, funded by almost $30 million from Google Ventures. In addition to that business, he operates two member mouse-powered membership businesses. One is the world's largest gemology education website, the International Gem Society, and the other is the Ganoxim Project, a technical resource website for jewelry makers. Here are some highlights from my conversation with Seth. Some people love starting things from scratch. I like the process of finding something that has kind of been hanging around for a while or somebody's lost interest in it. I, I prefer to start from some sort of foundation. I tend to like evergreen niche 
businesses. So here's what I mean by that. Uh, Content-oriented businesses where the nature and character of the content doesn't tend to change that much over time. So gems is a perfect example of that, right? The uh, <laughs> the science of a gem, it, it, there, there are obviously new things happening all the time, but, um, you know, it's, it's essentially geology and it's a subset of geology. So um, it hasn't really changed that much. The science is the science. Likewise, uh, with some of the techniques involved in jewelry manufacture and jewelry repair, uh, some of the best things you can learn are actually the things that people have been doing for a very long time and, and the way that they've been doing it. So I tend to default back to uh, niches that are underserved where other people may think interest is waning and where I think there will always be interest, right? I don't think gems will go away as an interest area. I don't think uh, jewelry repair is going to go away as an interest area. But for whatever reason, those niches, when I got into them, were not being invested in particularly heavily. So uh, there's no magic to what I do. I, I try to find things that are interesting to me and also interesting to customers. And then I try to develop the very best content and offering that's available. And I, I focus pretty hard on being the best resource. And I, I think, you know, you, you mentioned that there's no magic in it, but an important ingredient is that you do have the interest because possibly the reason why the people that you acquired it from, the interest wasn't being lost because of the market. It was being lost because the, the people who were running it didn't have enough of an innate interest in the subject matter to really have the conversations they needed to, to discover where the opportunity was. I often thought probably for the first five years of this journey, like that there's going to be one thing, like you're going to get a lucky break or there's going to be an epiphany of some kind. And like, there's no epiphanies. Okay. It's like, the good news is that no one meeting, no one customer, no one bad event is game changing to a degree that, you know, it's like, this is the meeting of a lifetime. Like, actually it isn't really right. If it goes well, it could be great. If it doesn't go well, it'll still be fine. You know, <laughs> like that's been a, a similar experience for me. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, as, as we continue to do these calls, if this is just like you and I just happen to be very similar, or if this is just a pattern that, people who, who build businesses like we do go through. And it's just a similar journey. I mean, I got a lot of friends that own a lot of different types of companies. They would all say the same thing. <laughs> so either that's an amazing coincidence, or um, <laughs> if you're reasonably intelligent, you start to see patterns, right? Ah, I've tried that a couple of times and you know, it's not working. So clearly I need to try something else. You know, it's you're trying on a lot of hats as a, as a company builder and as a manager. And, you know, one thing I would encourage... Uh, member mouse users is, is not to think of themselves as content people, right? These are these are company builders. In episode 108, I spoke with Ali Jafarian, the founder and CEO of MemberDev.com. They're a design and development agency that specialize in building custom membership sites. Not only has Ali built powerful subscription sites for his clients, he co-founded and ran a subscription site of his own in 2013. Ali is truly an expert in planning, designing, developing and growing membership sites. Our conversation focuses on the main items to consider before starting a membership site. He shares from his wealth of experience about topics like who should and shouldn't start a subscription site, the amount of time, energy, and effort required to get started, and what tools he recommends. Here are some highlights. I really want to dive into this and discuss 
who are the people who should be thinking about starting membership sites and why? Do you have the bug? Do you have the passion? Do you have the drive? One of the huge components that I think a lot of people uh, you know, just drastically miss is the time. There's a lot of time required to start, you know, build and then grow a membership site, let alone a membership business. It's not, it's not a simple thing. I can tell you that from experience. I can tell you that from helping lots of people do this. So time, you know, carving that out, being what's realistic. Um, and then the challenge, you know, do you have the grit? Are you going to dig in? When I look at some of the people who have succeeded with us and, and that we've helped you know, grow, the, I, I, the, a very common you know, characteristic is that these people who grow to six and eventually seven figures are relentless. You know, they will figure it out. Now, let's help people understand from your experience what that process of building out the membership site is going to be like. What are the things that they're going to be asked to work on? What are the things that they may work with somebody else on. Content creation and management is always a starting point just because that's essentially your product. Then we get into platform development. So now this is um, arguably the trickiest part for do-it-yourselfers is that how do I now, I have this great content, how do I now put it all together on a website, an app, you know, whatever the, the vehicle is to be able to give it and, and sell it to people. And this is where WordPress comes in. This is where MemberMouse comes in. This is where other various tools come in. And it can be very tricky. And we always advise people to stay lean, you know, have the basics, Google Analytics, um, tie into an email marketing provider, you know. And But uh, there's there's a lot of these things that add up. They're the things that you some of them you need. They're essential. And others, they can be used to automate things, which, you know, frees up your time as the, the business operator. So that is the, the next step. You know, you've created content, you've got the platform built out. Now you're plugging in tools and integrations. And then now we get to online marketing and sales. So, okay, now you've got this great thing. Um, how are you going to continue getting people to come into the door, um, getting people to buy things, um, customer acquisition is a tricky thing. There's a lot of info out there. And there's a, there's a lot of really good info, a lot of really bad info. Um, and filtering that can be a challenge. But the basics, so going back to the basics that all we start with are never neglect your email list. So building an email list, and this is something I learned um, later as an entrepreneur because I didn't think this was valuable earlier in my career. I was always focused on building. And in reality, if you have this email list, which is such a simple thing and it's such a low barrier in terms of an ask. It's like, hey, just jump on my email list. Then you have this network that you're slowly growing over time. So build the email email list. Um, the other thing I always promote, and people for either neglect this or choose not to do this, is talk to your early users, especially user, your early customers. The early people for both software businesses and membership businesses kind of help you define um, the path that your business takes. You can't focus on, on only what you think. Like, yes, your opinion is valuable as a creator, but you have to listen to the market. And the market in these sites is your users, your members, right? Yeah, and that's that's a lesson that I had to learn over 10 years because in the beginning, I did go hands down. I spent way too much time getting a minimum viable product out. Everyone does. Most people do. Yeah, I mean, but I know now. Communication is the key to success. Yeah. In episode 104, I spoke with Martin Wilson. 
Martin has a 20-year career spanning technology to consumer products. He's worked across the full spectrum of business, from small and medium-sized organizations to Fortune 100 companies. After leading two startups and becoming an angel investor, Martin now focuses on his passion, helping small businesses radically grow their revenue. Here are some highlights from our conversation. There are you know, phases as a business. And in between those phases, there's, there's this idea of a valley of death. And somebody else came up with that idea. Yeah. I remember reading it years ago, right? But it talks about, especially for startups, what are those phases? For instance, right, the first phase is you're just trying to figure out the problem solution space. Um, and then once you get a product that you have a market fit, then the next, the third phase is actually scaling those up. And in between those, you know, there's there's a lot of things you can do wrong um, and out of sequence. That means that you kind of hit this valley of death and you just flounder and die. Um, and it's hard to know because it's not codified what you should do at a, each phase. Uh, one way to look at starting a business is it's kind of like this really, it's kind of like a sadistic, like multi-level puzzle. Yes. Like the first level of the puzzle is, is really seductively easy. It's, yes. It draws you in. Yes. And you solve that part of your weight. There's another puzzle underneath us. Yeah. And you're, the momentum of it makes you, you know, forces you into yes. solving that next puzzle. And it's like, okay, now I've solved that one. Everything's done. No, it's just like keeps going, keeps asking you to reinvent, yes. widen your gaze. Yes. You know, you have to constantly keep more things in your field of vision. Uh, which means letting go of the past things you got comfortable with and thought that you were good at yes. to move forward. Yeah, it's funny how all this stuff becomes so much meta um, about just your, the introspective nature of who we are and how we operate as people and the kind of these underlying assumptions. Like if we send out better emails, well, we will get better click rates. You're like, well, what's that based off? Like, tell me where the data is that's showing this. What customer has said this? Where do we get this? Um, I think one of the things that bringing someone from the outside is really great is I can just ask simple questions and really start to uncover where the problems exist and, and the solutions and all the underlying bias and assumptions around those. And reflecting on my journey with MemberMouse, that was a big thing for me. You know, there was this bleed over space where the ship became big, but I was still operating like it was the right. Wild West. Like, oh, well, you know, we can still make decisions based on we were when we were yeah. just a robot. And you, know, you quickly realize, oh, well, not all of our, like you said, not all of our assumptions are correct. And it's far more cost effective to take the time, have a little mm -hmm. patience, take the time test the assumptions, ask the questions, and then move forward based on the mm -hmm. consensus. I always start when I meet with someone really talking about, do they have a consistent vision of what the company is? Because if, if the CEO or the C-level executives don't have an aligned vision about where the company is going and what some of the problems are, that to me is, is one, like step one, you got a big disconnect. And that oftentimes happens. So in my process of sitting down with a company, kind of went around and just talked to all the high level people, including some of the customer service people. And it was very clear to me that there was a central theme around where the company was going and what the big problems were. So that was great. And then it became more of, okay, how do we do this? And in this case, the CEO was feeling that he was really good at the product and operation side, but he didn't have a good focus on the sales and he just was spread too thin. So, so kind of that this engagement played out at the end of a week, we had a pretty good sense of 
where we needed to go. We didn't exactly know how to execute on those, but we had to spend a good amount of time making sure that we are solving the right problem. And then you can start diving into, well, what are some ways to solve those problems? And the way I always break things down is, is like, what's our big hairy goal we're trying to achieve in this? How do we measure success? And then let's really start getting pretty tactical on how do you execute the next 90 days? So much of what we're doing, they are our best guesses at what will actually work. So that's why I, I really like that 90 day. Cause yeah, it's a, you know, you, you hear this, this analogy all the time of, you know, you're really taking a sailboat and you're zigging and zagging back and forth. The reason for 90 days and really being able to test your problems on a continuous basis is you're trying to limit your zigging and zagging as much as possible because those zags are really expensive. In episode 111, I'm joined by Claire Whitmer. She's the head of digital and product strategy for Make.co. Make.co is and has been at the center of the DIY maker movement since 2005. Their YouTube channel has over 1.5 million subscribers. In 2018, she helped the company launch their very first online membership program. Claire shares with us very transparently some of the challenges they faced and lessons learned a year after launching their online membership program. Let's listen to some highlights from our conversation. And I will, I will tell you that the, I am now referring to this internally as the Homer Simpson moment, just meaning like, duh, that we did, a, we did user interviews at Maker Fair New York and across a, a bunch of digital subjects, not just membership, but uh, specifically membership. And our question is, you know, why, why would you want to become a member? Obviously, that's the question. And the, the, the moment was where we had a lot of users say, oh, well, I'm already a member. I've been a member for years. I'm like, how could you be a member for years? We just launched this program in May. And they were confused between the difference between our membership program, which is in our minds a specifically digital effort, and subscription to the magazine. And now that I explain this, it seems so obvious, how, but that goes back to the echo chamber that you referred to earlier, is that our business objectives were so clear in our minds that it never occurred to us that this would be as significant a source of confusion as it was. And I think that that was probably the biggest mistake that we made. And now that wouldn't apply to all membership publishers who are only digital, but for us with an established print brand, that was the number one mistake we made this year. But I think that does highlight a very critical point about the value of listening and talking to customers is that words are so important. You may be using a word such as member internally as one thing, but if the community uses it differently as like, oh, I am a member, meaning they were probably talking about, well, I already am an inclusive part of this community. I belong here. Right. When you talk to your customers, listen to exactly what words they use because they tell you how they want to be spoken to. That's it. That's exactly right. And if we had done that user testing prior to the launch of the the magazine, we almost surely would have changed the, the wording and the messaging. Um, not necessarily the offer, but the the marketing around it. And I think that the most important thing that you have to do when you're starting is be able to articulate the benefits of membership 
from the point of view of your customer, not from the point of view of your company. You know what the benefits are. It's revenue. That's awesome for you. Um, But if you're asking people to spend their time and their energy to A, pay attention to you, and B, whip out their credit card and give you money for it, then you have to be able to articulate the benefits from their point of view. And that is not as easy as you think it's going to be which is why I would recommend as my my second most important learning is I'm a big fan of the freemium tier where you have a correctly articulated level of commitment to to what you're going to provide for free so that you're not overspending on customer acquisition, but uh, that you have a channel into your membership program that is an extremely, has an extremely low bar so that you do have a uh, uh, communication channel with both you to them, but them to you. In episode 110, my guest was Kyle Weger, the founder of two successful membership sites, ReflectionYoga.com and KyleWeger.com. Kyle has truly been through the ringer as an entrepreneur and shares from his experience what it actually takes to build a successful online business. In our conversation, we explore many of the personal and professional lessons he's learned on his journey to entrepreneurial success. Here are some highlights. And so mine is I give them free video. In the first video, I set up that they're going to want to keep opening my emails. And I say, hey, uh, I hate to let the cat out of the bag, but I have another surprise for you tomorrow. So make sure you check your inbox. So I kind of tease it a little bit. And then uh, my favorite line in there, and this is just the old line that works all the time. I just, I get a kick out of this. It's like, um, be sure to keep checking your inbox for my um, emails because the next few days are going to feel like Christmas. <laughs> and every time <laughs> I just like that line. And so then the next day I was like, hey, surprise. And you remember yesterday I said I was going to send you a free video? Well, I'm a man of my word. So here you go. And it's a video on hand placement and like some more technical training. And then day three, another email value for three straight days. And then there are um, a number of different ways they could go. They either get pitched over to my tripwire offer uh, after on day four, which is a $1 video. It's called the 30-minute handstand makeover. Super simple. It's a dollar. It's the least amount of money you could charge anybody for anything, right? You have to break the psychological barrier of them giving you money for something. That's a big deal. That's, a, that's an intimate transaction. You know what I mean? Like, hey, this is money I worked for and I earned it through some capacity, and I'm giving it to you in exchange for a product that you say is worth it. How do I know? And so um, I give them the opportunity to enter at low risk. Once they're in for the dollar thing, now they're in member mouse, right? Now they're a member of my site. They're part of a community. And then that's where I hit them with more value, more free videos, um, more like talking head videos, some training videos, and then upsell to the $175, my core product, the six weeks to handstand course. What are you doing to help get those people upgraded from the $1 to the $175? My, my sort of sales mechanism, I suppose, if you want to call it that, is that I treat handstand like a courtship process. Like handstand, I want handstand to be my girlfriend, right? And so I can't just go, uh, go for the gold right away. Like you have to court the handstand. So my, my whole sales thing is like, hey, we're going to teach you how to like kind of move from just flirting into falling in love with your handstand through a progressive practice. Um, once they're in, man, a good old fashioned funnel, it like, it doesn't need that much tweaking. Give them a free product, let them try it, give them more value, give them more value. 
and then uh, ask for a little bit of money for the next product and then make upsell, upsell. What is a tip that you can share with the people listening that um, who may be starting businesses, uh, struggling through the early stages of a business that can help them get and accomplish their goals? Man, just pick your thing. I picked handstand. And as we just said, that's a super niche market. I mean, as niche as you can get. It's I only do one pose, but I, <laughs> I teach it a lot, right? Take the broad bucket of, or the broad umbrella of yoga, for example. God, there's so many different ways you could go with that. You know, yoga for senior citizens, yoga for kids, and then even dial it down one more layer, right? And get super focused on what it is you do best or what it is you want to do, and then do that one thing. If you want to expand from there, great. Um, don't try to be all things to all people. It's going to be too much. If you're in the fitness world, what are you doing? Are you helping people put on muscle, get lean, lose fat, jump higher, run faster? What I mean, pick a thing and pick a super specific thing and get known for being like the guy at, at that thing. In episode 106, I spoke with Mitch Bowler, the founder of PencilKings.com, a membership site that helps artists take their art and careers to the next level. Pencil Kings provides over 100 courses and trainings from world-class artists on a wide variety of topics. Mitch started Pencil Kings back in 2010 based on his own experience as an artist trying to master his craft and earn a living. Since then, he's grown his community into 8,000 members strong, but it wasn't easy getting to that point. Mitch underwent massive personal growth and transformation through his entrepreneurial journey. In our conversation, Mitch shares what worked and what didn't based on his experience of building Pencil Kings. Here are some highlights. I classically undercharge for what I offer to people. And, you know, you think you want to provide value, but you also forget that you have to feed yourself. And if you can't support yourself, then you can't provide value. And so there's kind of a, a, a cycle that has to happen or a loop that has to happen there where you're able to provide for yourself. And it's really easy to forget that when you're a creative person, because you're so far leaning on the one end of the spectrum. And I like to describe this as a spectrum where as creatives, we're on one end and I feel like accountants and bookkeeping is on the other. And um, that's something that for me personally, I had to really confront in the last 12 months or so just to say like, I need to be far better at numbers than I am at creating and building things. And I, I think creativity is not just something that's relegated to artists. I, I think the creative process and I think possibly why creative people have a challenge truly valuing their work is because it's a constant evolution. So as soon as you've done one thing, you already know how it could be better. Definitely. And somebody explained it to me once that, uh, and, and I think it's easy to forget as a creative that there's a time for sowing or, or planting, and then there's a time for harvesting. And as creative people, it's almost like we're always planting seeds and creating new projects because that's just what we do. But you actually have to take a step back and be like, okay, well, if I'm going to support myself and continue on this journey, I need to harvest. I need to put effort and focus into reaping the rewards of the amazing thing that I created and, and not just say that, you know, the next thing will be better because the, that cycle never ends. You can just create endlessly. Right. Because if you're constantly sowing seeds in a field, you're going to end up with like this huge field full of stuff, but you're going to be starving in the corner because you're not eating anything. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I, I just want to go back for one second to this idea of challenging 
assumptions or challenging thoughts that you have that may not be serving you. And so one of the thoughts that wasn't serving me was that my business would grow, which seems weird, you know, to, to all of a sudden think, well, instead of my business will grow because everything that you read as an entrepreneur, just rah, rah, like let's grow these businesses. Let's 10 X this, or let's 30% boost that you're just one funnel away, or you're just one trick away from getting into the fast lane. But what if you're not, can you still not have a good life today? And so I just started challenging everything in the business and saying like, is this absolutely needed? And so that's where the, the cost cutting started to come in and the optimization started to come in. And instead of uh, building all the time, I, t- I took off the builder hat and put on the optimizer hat. And I didn't even realize that these are two different hats that we wear as business operators. In episode 105, I spoke with Neely Quinn, the founder of trainingbeta.com, a membership site dedicated to providing training programs, nutrition consulting, and educational resources for rock climbers. In her conversation, she shared the story of how she started Training Beta, built an audience, got her business off the ground, and made it profitable. We cover topics like content strategy, community building, strategic outsourcing, and more. Here are some highlights. Can we talk a little bit about how you started making the business profitable? The first thing we did was partner with a trainer. His name is Chris Peters. And at the time, he was a pretty well-known climbing trainer. We made an ebook with him. And it was just like this six-week power endurance training program. And we paid somebody to make it into a pretty ebook for us. And then we sold it through Member Mouse as just a product. And it was $39. And I remember the first time we sold one and I got the little email and I was like, oh, my God. We're making money. <laughs> yes, $39. <laughs> and then we uh, partnered with another trainer to do a different ebook. And then we did, and then we partnered with some other people who already had ebooks created and we just sold them on our site and gave them. So all of these people are getting a percentage. Right. Um, and then finally, we made the first subscription program and now we have two of those. And those are definitely our bread and butter. And then um, we're in the process of creating new ones that are more in line with the current thoughts and theories in training. I think this is amazing. You're using this strategy of strategic outsourcing and partnership. You're not putting everything on yourself and you're allowing yourself to be more nimble and move by uh, partnering with these people who are experts who have a place in the community, um, somebody who has something to say about you. At a certain point, I, I realized that I couldn't do everything myself. Like, you know how it is. You, yeah. There are a million things that you can be doing. And I was trying to create content and I wasn't getting very much out there because I had so much to do. So I ended up hiring a content manager. And during the last four years, we've definitely um, evolved what we're putting out there. And, and so um, in terms of your overall audience building strategy, what part do you think that your content creation efforts play in that? What percentage? I think it's like 75% of Mm -hmm. my traffic is from organic searches. So, I mean, we've put a lot of work into having proper SEO on the site, having keywords, 
that are repeated in in articles. And I really do think that makes a huge difference. So what is what's the remaining twenty five percent then? If if seventy five percent of it is content creation, it's Facebook. Okay. So Facebook is definitely number one, and then Instagram has become really big now too. So. I know that if I were to be in charge of my Instagram or Facebook, we would do terribly. So, yeah. so that was the first thing that I had to just be okay with. And, and so then what I did was I found um, a friend of mine who has her own pretty big following. If she has like 13,000 followers or 10, whatever, 10,000 followers on Instagram, just for her own climbing. And she has this way of speaking to people that people really connect with and enjoy. And so I asked her to do our Instagram. And so she has all these ideas. So my, my main point is get somebody who knows what they're doing and who is 24 years old and knows right. how to speak that generation's language. Well, who's interested in it? Who's right. enthusiastic exactly. about it? Exactly, yeah. That enthusiasm, I think, is the indicator that it's the right fit. In episode 109, I spoke with Dan Karen. Interestingly enough, Dan got his start building websites and marketing products after his high school health teacher gave him Corey Rudy's Internet Marketing Secrets course. In the 20 years since then, Dan has built four seven-figure businesses, serving over 100,000 customers. Dan's an expert in customer acquisition, marketing channels, copywriting, landing page design, and more. In our conversation, Dan shared from his extensive knowledge about the critical intersection of customer acquisition channels and landing page design. Here are some highlights. You really, really need to think about your channels. There's a great book called Traction that, uh, you know, is, is sort of the, the beginner's guide to thinking about channels. One of the things that I sort of disagree with in the book is that they say, well, treat all your channels equally and go out there and just test them all and see what works. And that's very agnostic opinion. And, and it makes a lot of sense. I can see why they say that. But in practice, what I've found is that there will be one or two channels that just really, really, really work well. And in fact, most businesses, most successful businesses are only built on one channel. Now think about that for a second, right? Most successful businesses, we're talking seven, eight figure those businesses are in general built using one channel. So that means that you can do everything. You can do content marketing, you do paid advertising, you can go to events, you can do press, you can do on and on and on. But only one of them is really going to move the dial. And it's important to think long and hard about your product about analog products and analog businesses, your competitors, and really look at the channels that they're using to grow. And then you have to build your landing page around that channel. So given the importance that you place on it, and it makes complete sense. I mean, to me, while you're talking about it, to help it ground for me, every time I hear you say channels, I just think about an individual. Because when I did sales calls, with people, I would talk to the individual. I would understand who they are before I started speaking to them because the pitch is different based on my understanding of who the person is, where they're coming from, what their journey is. Yes. So what are some guidance that you would offer? There's generally going to be sort of one thing that just really works in acquiring customers. And you have to figure out what that is. And you want to, you want to know what your competitors are doing and what 
businesses you admire are doing. And you need to figure that out. And a lot of that is channel research. It's channel research, and then it's the hooks, right? What are the hooks that are working in those channels? And thinking about those two things and doing that kind of research can pay off enormously. It really requires intuition and logic and careful consideration of where those customers might be and how easy it is to reach them. And if your product or service has, or a similar product has been sold through those channels in the past. And there's also an interesting, the interplay between the price point, what is commonly sold through a, a channel and sort of the nature of the product itself. And that has taken me 20 years to learn that that is really where businesses are made or they fail. It's understanding those variables and those dynamics. I'd like to say thank you again to all of our guests that joined us here on the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast in 2018. And many thanks to you for listening. If you found value and enjoyed any of the episodes we've recorded this year, please share them with your friends, family, and colleagues. And if you'd like to hear the full episodes of each of the entrepreneurs you've heard today, please visit subscriptionentrepreneur.com. For the complete show notes and a transcript of today's episode, please visit subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 112. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher for more interviews with successful entrepreneurs. So that's all for the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast in 2018. We'll be back after the new year with an exciting episode featuring entrepreneur Abdo Riani. Abdo has started three businesses of his own and has helped thousands of entrepreneurs with their startup ventures. He's now the creator of StartupCircle.co, a resource designed to help entrepreneurs in their journey of building a business. Abdo shares a system he created called the Accelerate Method, which can help entrepreneurs build an engaged audience quickly. So from all of us here at Member Mouse and the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast, happy holidays, and we'll see you in the new year.